Well, good morning. As John mentioned earlier, we're in this sermon series um, called Humanity's Condition, and we've been talking about you know, what it means to be human in this condition that we walk around in, not just the skin of being a human, but all this stuff that we carry with us that makes us human. And we, we've been doing this now for, this is our fourth week in this series, and we've talked about how the Garden of Eden kind of talked about disobedience. You know, humanity's disobedience leads to shame. And then we considered how this Tower of Babel episode kind of leads to rebellion and confusion as we struggle and wrestle with this whole notion of unity and diversity in God's good creation. And we kind of struggle with that. And then we talked about how, how, we, how we grumble and quarrel among ourselves. And when, when, when God doesn't act, when we want God to act. And, and we, we get, we're scared and we're afraid and we're out in the middle of nowhere in this wilderness. And life does that to us. Life can feel like a wilderness. We understand that. This week we're going to continue this consideration of, of humanity's condition. But you know, before I get into that, I, I wanted to say, how many of you have ever gone to a crawfish boil? Most of you, good for y'all. I went to my first one on Friday night. Let me tell you, we were in Homa, Louisiana, and um, I, I had never been there before. These were some of Leanne's friends, and so the Wysites and the Webs and the Landrews kind of invited us down, um, down southwest of Louisiana. Down in, I mean, this is, it, it's flat down there. That's one thing that really struck me, is how flat it is, and wet. It's just incredibly flat. I, I thought Florida was flat. No. <laughs> South Louisiana is flat. But we were down there, and we were hanging out with all these people I really didn't know. And they, they, they had this table set up, a big, it was a stainless steel table, had a big hole in the middle, and then they came out and they poured out these big bats of crawfish. And here's what I was afraid of most. I thought they were going to make me suck the heads of these things. And there was no way that was going to happen. No way. But they were telling me, because I'd never done this before. I'm like, I, they, gave, they gave me something. I'm like fizzling with it going, I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Um, and I'm trying to treat it like a shrimp. It's nothing like a shrimp, doing a shrimp. And so somebody, one of the guys came over and goes, let me show you. You pinch it here, you pull the head off. And you, you, you take these two layers of scales off, and you hold that, and you pull the tail, and it, it comes right out. Then you want to debate them, of course. Yeah, absolutely. That all makes it. It took me five minutes to, to peel my first one. And when I got it, it was about this much little thing. I'm starving to before I get through this. But they, as I was making my way through all of this, kind of making a huge mess, and probably throwing away more crawfish than I ate, there was a friend of Leanne's who was just, I mean, going through just... I mean, she would bring over like 20 and put them in front of Leanne, and I'm like, and you know what struck me about all of this whole episode is what brings these people together. We were at a Catholic family's house because they had gone to a Methodist retreat in Panama City Beach. There were Methodists there who had gone to the same retreat. They met Leanne, became friends with Leanne, and became close friends. Went to each other's weddings. 
and they invited us to be a friend. They invited me to a place I had never been, to be around people I had never seen, and I could actually understand most of them. <laughs> it turned out to be a wonderful, powerful experience. And as I thought about what brought these families together and what brought Leanne into their family was this notion of God. The whole idea of one God and one faith. And that they had the same belief into this one God. That's what brought us together as family and friends around a table of shellfish. And that's, that's part of the human condition. Is that we, we believe in something. There's something about the human condition that says you have to believe. We have to believe in something. It's just part of how we're made. Even if we say, I believe in nothing, you believe in something. Even if it's quote-unquote nothing. Because there is something, some higher force, some higher being, some higher idea that is leading and pushing wind into your sails and taking you through life. Whatever that is. And so the question becomes for the humans, as we answer and, and respond to this human condition, is what will we believe or what will we believe into? Frederick Wigner has this wonderful um, thought about believing in or believing or believing into God. He says, you know, everybody can believe in God. You can believe in something, even God, and it will have no impact on your life whatsoever. It's the same way as saying, I, I believe in, well, I, I believe in the sky is purple. I, I, I believe in McDonald's. For sure. I believe there's a great story about these two um, preachers. One was a Baptist and one was a Methodist. And the Baptist preacher says to the Methodist, I, I understand you. I hear you guys um, have you baptized babies over there at the Methodist church. You, you believe in baptizing babies? And the Methodist priest says, not even do I believe in it. I, I've actually seen it. So we can, we can believe in anything, but what is it that makes a difference in our life? And that, Frederick Beecher talks about believing into something. Believing something, not just in something. We can believe in anything, but when we believe something or we believe into something, we're putting our passions, we're putting our, our intentions into whatever it is we're believing. And, and this is the human condition that we have to believe into something. Something is going to guide our thoughts, our practices, our behaviors, our, our, our rhythms. It's just, there's no way around it. Our scripture today is, is taken from Exodus. Again, we find the, our, 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 our fellows, the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness. This is after... Um, you know, Moses has, has led them out of Egypt. He has led them through, through the Red Sea on dry ground. He has, he has found, he's found water for them that was bitter and was made sweet. And then he has, 
He's found, he's asked for food for the Israelites after they have complained. And God brings them manna and quail. And then they, 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 they as Kristen talked about last week, they have wandered around some more. And now they're thirsty. And they ask, why, why have you led us out here to, to die of thirst? We could have died just as easily back in Egypt and not have to travel as far. Why are you taking us out here to die? And so Moses strikes the stone and water comes out of it. And now they have, they have arrived at the base of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Moses has, has gone before God, has received the Ten Commandments and given the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. And these, the first two are critical. These are the first two commandments. There has to be some, some, some sense of primacy in the human memory when they hear the words, put no other God before me. And, and, and the Hebrew may say, put no other God besides me. Don't displace God. Don't, don't put God aside. Don't put a God in front of, above the one true God, Yahweh. Then don't, don't bow down to gods, to other gods. Don't worship other gods. Well, now we have a little bit of a challenge here because we have this human condition and we want to believe into something. We have to believe into something and now we're being given a God to believe into, to believe that God's going to be there for us. He's going to rescue us. He's going to lead us out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea and dry ground. And give us sweet water out of bitter water. And give us manna and quail. And give us the water out of rock. And he's going to set up life for us. We can believe that. We've seen that. But now, several chapters later, we find the Israelites in chapter 32 of Exodus. Moses has gone back up the mountain to commune with God and to receive the the covenant to continue to bring forth the covenant, this way of life, a way of relating to God in a way that will help Israelites make sense of it all. But we read, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, come make gods for us, who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. And rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to rebel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, 
so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants. And they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind by the disaster he had planned to bring on his people. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Well, this is you know, a fairly familiar passage about the golden calf. The people were waiting for Moses to come down in 40 days, and they became restless, they became impatient. And they wanted God present with them. They wanted the word of God to be present with them. They wanted to know that God is there to care for them and to lead them in their time. According to their schedule. According to their belief. God had laid out how this was going to go. How to relate to God. How to relate to one another. And the Israelites forgot. But they're wrestling with this whole human condition. That we need a God. We need to believe in something more powerful. Bigger than us. So they make a God for themselves. The image of a calf. The human condition. We all do this. We're all at risk of making gods for ourselves. Because we have to believe in something. There's all kinds of gods out there that we can that we can find our our belief to rest in, that we can find our confidence, that we can find any kind of assurance or hope. And I, I think about the many gods that live in our culture. And some of them even thrive in our culture. I've heard arguments and debates about how you can't be a Christian and a Democrat at the same time, how you can't be a Christian or a Republican at the same time. Because in this political environment, if you don't agree with me, you're from a different party and you're not like me. And so my party, my political ideology becomes a god. I have seen people make gods out of science. That science will give us a way. The technology will provide a way forward. That will be the answer for our future. We will continue to advance. We'll continue to, to grow as humanity, as a world, and we will find a way forward to peace, to confidence, to assurance and security. And we can make science and technology gods. Jesus spoke of the dangers of wealth and financial strength. When we, when we come to rely on our wealth and our financial strength, we can... We can find ourselves believing that that's going to be our security. That's going to be our peace. That's going to be the way forward. That's what will put wind in ourselves and will guide us. And when we do that, 
We make wealth and financial security our gods. We live in a, a time when nationalism overtakes patriotism and can become a god. We hear some speak of the greatest nation and America first. We must be cautious when the language of patriotism and country and citizenship begins to be blurred with the language of faith and the language of religion. Because nationalism can become a god. We can rely on others. Our relationship with other people. Other people can become our gods, whether celebrities or politicians or family members or close friends or bosses or, or bishops. When we begin to rely on one person to be our way forward, to put wind in ourselves, to lead us into the future, people become our gods. We make gods because we have to believe in something. We have to believe into something, that something is going to take care of us in the future. That there is something more powerful than us in this life that will take care of us in this life. And that's what the Israelites struggle with. And we, like the Israelites, struggle with this human condition. But we have this faith. A faith that declares there's one God who will lead us into the future. In God's own time, in God's own way, we will have wind in ourselves and we will move towards God's future. That's what we're called to believe in, to believe into. So we have this condition and I invite us to, to embrace that condition and to know and to understand in this season of Lent to recognize and acknowledge that we have a condition to believe into something and let us use this season to remember in the wilderness when God seems distant and far away and even absent, that God is always with us in all times and all places, working through God's people to proclaim the good news, the gospel. And the gospel that we are to believe is in one person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the revelation of God. That's our faith. And that's why we will go to Tanzania with First Pentecost, and that's why we'll send other teams, and that's why the church will continue to move into the world. Because we have one God and one faith. And that's what we're called to believe in and to believe into. And then the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.